What is up, Passionate Life Church? You guys doing all right today? Come on. So good to see all of you. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome everybody to church today. I want to welcome everybody that is watching online. Thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. We have a very special Sunday today. We have the president and founder of Vapor Ministries with us this morning. Uh, Mike is amazing. He killed it first service, so he's going to kill it this service too. Uh, Man, we're just so excited to partner with what they're doing in Africa and Haiti. And it's about all of us taking more territory for the kingdom. Amen? Next week, we're starting a brand new series on love, but it's not what you think, okay? We'll be talking about love, but we'll be tackling really difficult questions. If God is love, then why does he send people to hell? If God is love, why does he seem so angry in the Old Testament? Do you know what I'm saying, okay? This will be a great series to invite somebody. Uh, That starts next week. Come on, everybody, give your best passionate life church hand for Micah. Come on, man. I was choking on something and I gagged too. There were tubes in my nose, in my throat. There were sensors going off in the room all around me. I had no idea where I was. They had drilled four screws into my head and strapped me to a rotating bed. I couldn't move anything on my body. My eyes worked. I could see my father in the corner of the room. Bags under his eyes hadn't shaved. The first words out of my mouth How did I do in the game? My father looked back, and through tired eyes, he said, son, you didn't play. You broke your neck. That's when I realized I had died. That's when I realized that my dreams were shattered. That's when I realized I was going to need a new pathway to purpose. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. My name is Micah, and I have the privilege of traveling with my bride. Will you stand up? My best friend. Yeah, absolutely. Our two kids are here as well. Uh, Our little peace arrow, Arrow Amani, he's on the screen, and our little grace gift, Given Gracia, they are tearing up your nursery right now. Pastors, I apologize in advance. Bill us. We'll cover it on the backside. But on behalf of our family and the entire entity we work with, I just want to say thank you, Passionate Life for having us today. Uh, Whether you're tuning in online, whether you're here in person, or even if you're watching later, it is truly a privilege to be with you. Uh, For those of you who are here in person, uh, I know it's a special privilege to gather, isn't it? I know there's some online right now that you're taking some precautions and, and no one judges you for that. As soon as you can get back, I know your pastors and your faith family wanna lock shields with you. But for those of you that are in the house, uh, We're not taking it for granted, are we? So turn to the person next to you and just let them know you're glad to see them. 
All right, now turn to your second choice and say, I guess they really mean it when they say, come as you are. All right, uh-oh, just got you in trouble. Well, I know people come to church for a variety of reasons, uh, but I would imagine that most people are here today at some level because you say you love God and you want to make a difference. Right, anybody here say, I'm not perfect, but I do love God and I do want to make a difference. That's you. Would you raise your hand? You know, I figured as much because I believe that desire was actually placed in you. You were biologically wired to live a life full of purpose. But there's a problem. There's another wide road, another wide path. And it invites us to waste our lives. And most in our world mindlessly take that path. But you, I think you're different because you're here. You want to walk his path. I'm here this morning because I'm praying that the Spirit of God would allow me to add value to you along your road. Now, to navigate a trail, to navigate a path, you need landmarkers. So this morning, I want to share three trail markers, and they will help you find and stay on what I call the pathway to purpose. All right, so turn back to your second choice. Yeah, the one you stumped, right? And just go ahead and add to it. Say, get the pen out because you, you need this. You need this talk, all right? <laughs> and for those of you who are, you know, you're not the second person, get your pen, your pad, your phone, whatever. I want to I give you some nuggets today. I want to give you some truths that will help you long after this service is done. All right, so the first marker, I thought about it as I was preparing this message, and I honestly multiple times just thought about jerking it. And the reason is because when you're the get, I'm from the South, and we value hospitality. I can feel it here. You guys have southern blood because you're so hospitable. And you don't go into a, a, a someone's home as a guest and, and, and offend them, right? And so as I thought about this first thought, I thought, I don't know. They don't know me. And so I still felt like it needed to be in there. And so here's what I'll say. If you're planning on tuning me out, just do it right now. Because if you, if you listen to the first thought and then check out, if you don't go all the way through, it, it may mess you up. You may misunderstand and it may hurt you, and I don't want to do that, okay? All right, first thought. Your dream produces death. In Proverbs, he says it this way. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Oftentimes, Jesus in the New Testament would try to get challenging concepts across through pictures or parables. And a lot of times, he would use farming or agricultural images to help us connect with eternal truths. And that's what he does in our base text. He actually says it this way. He says, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single See, a farmer would know that the seed that never goes through a dying process, it never experiences germination. 
It never experiences production, and its seed dies with itself. Said in a different way, the selfishness of the seed is self-defeating. A seed that lives to preserve itself ultimately ceases to exist. And likewise, a life dedicated to self, uh, to self is short-sighted, and it ultimately produces failed fruit. And so God who loves us knows that we come into a broken world with broken dreams. And his good and loving heart for us ultimately desires that we break from that death, break from a path that leads to nowhere. But the problem is for each of us is not only do we have internal temptations to live for self, but the culture around us screams it every day, right? Just do you. It's all about you. Live it up. Make as much as you can. Spend as much of it as you can on yourself. It's your life. Live it for now. And that's exactly the path I was on. See, my dream was my gain, my glory. If you were to ask me to put into two words my goals, it would have been simply assets and accolades. But I wanted to make the money, and I might as well have the fame to go with it. And for me, sports were my ticket. Played football, basketball, and baseball. My father coached for 18 years. We were around ball all the time. And in time, what happened was this passion for a game became idolatry. It consumed me. My dad came up to me after a practice and he, he challenged me. He said, son, life isn't about a game. God has made you on purpose for his purpose. And success is selling out to God's plan for your life. Now, my father was at, uh, offering great advice. But what happened is it crystallized the internal tension. I wanted to be a light-skinned Deion Sanders. You know what I'm saying? I want to play both ways. Big time. Now, I probably would have made AAA nothing, but in my mind, I was already a legend. ESPN, here I come. And so this wrestling match, it, it peaked about 2 a.m., and I battled with God before a big football game, and I finally just said to God, I stood up in my room, and I said, this is my life, and this is what I want to do with my life. Just leave me alone. Not too long after that, we went to do something we loved. We had grown up on the West Coast surfing, and now we lived in the Gulf of Mexico. And there's a big pond out there called the Gulf of Mexico. And the only time you can ride waves is when the hurricanes would kick up surf. And so the storms had formed. My brother and I decided to get, we, you know, we wanted to get our surfing in. And we went down. And there was huge waves. Big, what we call beach break, crashing right on the sand. And so my brother and I were racing. And I went running down the water like I had a hundred times before. And I'm, I'm, I'm trucking and at the last minute, I see this wave reforming, just about to hit the beach, and I throw my body into it. When I hit the water, something happened. It was like a shock just rushed through my body. Instinctively, I knew to lay still, but the momentum of my dive kind of carried me through the water. I remember being face down, and something was off. I was a little bit groggy. The next wave, it rolled me over. I could see the surface when I tried to get up. My body went 
panic raced through my veins. Try as I might, there's nothing I could do. In a last-ditch effort, I put my lips together, but instead of getting air, I sucked in water, and I passed out. My brother saw me dive in, didn't think anything was wrong, went to get the ball to play catch. After a few moments of not seeing me, he actually walked to the very place that I dove in, and he looked out in the water, nothing. He actually leaves thinking I'm playing a joke and begins to look in the bushes, and every moment that passes, I'm dying. I was caught in what's called a longshore current, and my body was pulled under and down. My parents, who had dropped us off, parked the car, got my sisters out. They made their way down and found my brother in the middle of a frantic search. And then they saw something that forever changed their lives. A stranger, about 150 yards down the beach, lifting a hand on a corpse in a slack pool of water. My mom, she hit the beach and began to scream, God, don't take my son. God, don't take my son. My brother ran and got my mom up. They ran to the nearest house and called 911. My father ran down and pulled my lifeless body out of the surf, blue, cold. I'd flatlined. The EMTs arrived. You know the works, the story. Defibrillators, resuscitation. I was put in a helicopter. And I don't remember much of the first week, but I remember choking on something and I gagged too. There were tubes in my nose and my throat. I was in ICU. That's when I realized I had died. That's when I realized that my dreams were shattered. But that was also the beginning of a beautiful wake up. I would eventually come to see that death precedes resurrection. And my lust for my life, my way, needed to die. But Jesus knew this long before I did. And he would say things in the Gospels like he does in Matthew when he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. He goes on to say, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, the on-ramp to purpose follows the exit marked surrender. And the thought, the takeaway that I want to encourage you with at this juncture this morning is simply this. Hand the wheel to a superior driver. You see, the death of a temporal dream gives life to an eternal purpose, which leads us to the pathways second trail marker. And that's simply his purpose generates life. You see, he wants us to shift from my will be done to yours on earth as it is in heaven. A yieldedness, a surrender that allows us to begin to walk into something bigger, something broader, something better, something abundant, something good, something that brings human flourishing, something that brings his kingdom on earth. You see, in giving up our vision, our version of the good life, we actually gain true life. He talks about that or he hints at it in our base text. We find this thought in verse 25. Look what he says. He says, 
Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. It's counterintuitive in his kingdom. He says when you're actually giving it up, that's when you start to gain it. That's when you actually get something that will last and last forever. And true life in God's economy is fueled by purpose. And that purpose, my friend, is good. It's wonderful. Jeremiah describes it as follows. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You see, his eternal purpose is better than our earthly dreams. Anybody in here married to a healthy spouse? Anybody so bold? My bride, she is absolutely amazing. Love of my life. We came in with very different eating habits. Let's just say that after I walked across the threshold and then into our home, like I was more oriented to like Mountain Dew and Reese's, right? That was kind of my, and, and she was like pine nuts and tree bark. You know what I'm saying? Anybody relate? <laughs> and so naturally, my son grew up eating seaweed and kale bites, right? And so one day, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm a bold father, a bold husband. Decided I came into the kitchen. And then I said, Son, come here. I want to introduce you to your new friend, Hostess Twinkie. <laughs> and he said no. Which goes to prove the point. He was struck in this inferior dream. <laughs> you see, exchanging your dream for his purpose, it isn't sacrifice. It's smart. Jim Elliott, who served amongst unreached people, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The question for you and the question for me isn't, did God make you for something good? The question for us is, what did he make me for? And his design comes with intent. His creation in you, you, were created not just for general purpose, but for specific intent. I love how he makes this connection in Ephesians. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. Pause. Because maybe someone's here today and this is what you needed to hear. No matter what culture says, no matter what your friends say, no matter what your past communicates, God handcrafted you and he calls you a masterpiece. The psalmist said it this way. He said, he knit me together in my mother's womb. Yes, your parents came together as a part of the creation process. But behind that, the one that spoke the stars into existence and formed the galaxies and holds the world in order, he handcrafted you and said, it is good. 
And then he goes on to say that when you and I meet Christ, we're created anew. So there's the first creation. But then we are born again, made new, when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ. But connect the dots here. What for? Why all that effort, God? Why all that work, God? Why all that created splendor, God? He doesn't leave it to chance. He tells us. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He laid out a path, a good path, for you before you were born. And he wants you and I to see the beauty of his purpose and wake up to that calling and spend our lives dialed in to a much better life than our dreams can afford. The scales began to fall off. God began to show me through grueling rehab in the hospital for the better part of a couple months. I was in a halo for three months, an aspen neck brace for three months, didn't move my head for six months. But little bit by little bit, he would grant healing. He would grant return. But with it, there was also this, I have a path for you, son. He began to show me his heart for the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he calls the found to join him on mission. He actually says things in his gospels like, go and make disciples and do it in all nations and do it until I return and my spirit will go with you in this mission. And I begin to see that part of the reason I was here was to pursue the great mandate. But I also begin to see God's heart for the hurting the poor, the marginalized, the disenfranchised. Over 2,000 times in God's word, there are calls from him to his people to care for the poor, the hurting. I begin to see God's global heart and God begin to form a new picture, give meaning in a new, fresh way. I ended up learning about extreme poverty, People in our world trapped in a level of human suffering that it's actually almost impossible for me to communicate today. Did you know that extreme poverty is defined as living on less than $1.90 a day? Think about that with me for a moment. What if you were doing your budget, doing your life, keeping your family afloat on $1.90? What would your life look like? Welcome to the slums. Over 700 million people Men and women, boys and girls, are living in places that you see on the screen right now. Places where oftentimes raw sewage is flowing through the streets and sometimes comes into the home. Places like where electricity is a luxury item. Places where people have little to no access to food and the mortality rates are shattering. I ended up spending some time in a lady's home named Velma. My first experience in an extremely poor environment, was in East Africa. I flew over by myself. I had to see it for myself, and I stayed for a month. I would stay in indigenous people's home in the actual slum, and I also stayed with a missionary family outside. And as Velma so kindly welcomed me into her 12 by 14 home, she said to me that there were 12 people sleeping in it. Now, 
as I'm standing in that home, dirt floor, 10 siding, it still didn't compute. So I look at Velma and I say, how is that even possible? She points to the soiled bed in the corner and she says, my husband and I, we sleep in this bed, one child to the right, one child to the left, one child lays across our feet. She pointed to the rickety table across the dirt floor and she said, we lay three kids across this table each night. She pointed to the makeshift bench along the tin siding and she said, the rest of the kids sleep arms crossed. And she said, we rotate because the bed is the best night's sleep. And I walked out of her home 300,000 human beings, families, people created in the image of God with kids that are no less important than mine. And that's when poverty became personal. That's when statistics took on names and faces. That's when I realized I was going to spend the rest of my life trying to forget what I saw or spend the rest of my life trying to do something about it. But that's when God began to birth a vision a purpose. He began to download an idea that would become Vapor Ministries. The concept was, what if we go buy property and reclaim and actually create a beautiful center, a beautiful place where children, youth, and adults can come by the thousands and there they can get access to health services, water, food services, education. But they can also come and do what they love and while they're there playing their sport of choice, they'll hear about the one that loves them. From people that speak the language, drink the water, and understand the culture. Indigenous people that are highly valued in the eyes of God that want to be on mission. And what if this place also created jobs? What if we could create an enterprise that brought social, spiritual, and economic impact? And by the grace of God, this is what exists today. because of amazing churches like your church that choose to make a difference absolutely in their neighborhoods and in their communities, but also across this country and choose to do so around the world because of people like you who lock shields with faith families like this. We've gotten the resources to in turn go and serve on your behalf. And by the grace of God, hundreds of thousands of people are being served every week as the people of God step into dreams that are better. And I just want to say at this juncture, you may never step foot on the continent of Africa. You may never step foot into the Amazon jungle. But God has a purpose and a plan for you. And God calls you and I to engage in that and also lock shields one with another to do things greater than we can do by ourselves. And so the, the thought line here I want to encourage you with is an inferior dream must give way to a life-giving purpose. Let's follow the Waymaker's map for our lives. Let's just choose to allow that surrender to then attach to purpose and say, we are going the direction you say. The final trail marker, the last thought, the last truth I offer you this morning is all in effort yields impact. Back in our base text, he hints at this. Look what he says. He says, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will what? Produce, yield, produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives, impact. See, living all in 
implies a sense of urgency. One thing that was forever branded on my chest on October 9th, 1995, was the reality that life is like a vapor. And that is as true for you as it is for me. Whether God grants you 80 or whether God grants you 30, and in the broad scheme of things, from eternal perspective, he says that life is like a handbreadth. He says that life is like a mist that appears for a moment. It's like a vapor. And Jesus connects this concept with the brevity of life and the urgency of the mission before us in many different ways. But he does so powerfully in John chapter 9, verse 4. Look what he says. He says, we must quickly carry out the task. That's all in. That's urgency. Why? The night is coming, and then no one can work. He says, I have a task for you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And we must be about it. We can't waste time because we will not have forever. And the end is coming quicker than we may think. Instead of wasting time, questioning God's call, let's use it running heaven's place. Living all in produces two measurable results. See, we don't want to just run around frantically. He's not encouraging us to be hasteful. He's encouraging us to be impactful. And I want to remind you that there's actually fruit, produce, impact on the other side of our effort. So I know there's some business folks here, and, and so I want to just see if I can't get anybody to enlighten me. What does ROI mean? There you go. There's a bunch of folks who get that, right? Return on investment. So I want to run with that concept for a moment. In the Bible, we see a return on investment first for others. So he calls us to be diligent, to be all in, in order to impact others, to live outside of ourselves, to bless, to encourage, to help others. And your church is all about this. Producing fruit in this community. Producing fruit in this nation. Did you know because of faith families like yours in one of the most challenging seasons the world has ever known, we were able to take those resources and get a return with lives and souls. Check out what God did. 56 million cups of cold water served last year. 1.8 million meals served. 250,000 plus people receiving health services. Many of them, they, they would not be here today. And over a million West Africans, East Africans, and Haitians heard the gospel of Jesus Christ directly shared with them, and many turned to Jesus. Praise be to God for a people that chooses not to run away, but run to. When the world is retreating, says we're going to advance by the power of God, and that's what you're about here at Passionate Life. And God's word calls us to that, to live on mission. But he also talks about an ROI, a return on investment that comes back to us. Now, I know you're pastored well, and your pastors talk about the principles of sowing and reaping. And the Bible is not unclear that we actually receive, we reap a reward, often in this life, but for sure in the next life. Now, I understand that in some places that can be abused. In some places, it's almost like, you know, God's the slave. We're that we rub the genie and he pops out and we command him. And, and if we give a dollar, we're guaranteed to get 100 back the next day. And, and surely some of that can be taken out of context. But 
Don't let the promises of God, because some people abuse it, go on deaf ears. He is a God of return. He promises to be faithful. He says, take care of my work, I'll take care of you. And you see this all throughout Scripture, but Paul makes this connection when in Philippians, he makes this all-in deal, right? He connects this all-in pursuit with prize, with reward. He actually says it this way. He says, I press on, right? You can feel it there. I press on. Think of Paul. He's on ships, right? If there was planes, he'd be on planes, right? He's on boats. He's going anywhere, everywhere. He's telling about people about Jesus. And he says, I press on. I push in. I'm all in. Why? To reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. My wife and I, every year we do what we call a time, talent, treasure, and influence planning. We evaluate the use of our resources over the last year, and then we ask God, show us how to steward our resources for the next year. And in the treasure section, we come out with a budget. And in that budget, it's broken into three simple parts. A portion for living, a portion for savings, and a portion for giving. And we typically think about those as fully separate compartments. All God's, but we're stewarding them separately. But this last year, I really, I really feel like that God revealed something to me that you probably already know. I'm a little bit slow, so sometimes it takes a while. And it was this connection between the giving and the saving. All right, so follow me. When you're saving, you're looking for an ROI, right? You are storing up for the 20 or 30 years from work stoppage to the end of life. You want to maintain some form of quality of life when you can't earn anymore. In giving, you're also storing up. The difference is, you're storing up for the 10 trillion years from end of life and eternity with God. And while your salvation is not contingent upon your work, the Bible is not clear that your works show up in heaven. And he says, invest where moth and rust don't corrode. He says, Think about return from an eternal perspective. And that's what God is calling each of us to. To live today like there's no tomorrow. To go all in. To sell out for that which matters. To make as big of an impact as we possibly can with the short lives that we have. You see, God calls us to a pathway that leads to tremendous impact. It's guided by heavenly purpose, but starts by letting an inferior dream die. I just want to speak to two groups here. I want to encourage those that are online to just lean in for a moment. Because many are here today, and you are passionate about Christ, and I praise God for that. And so the encouragement I leave you with is simply this. You have one life. And it's a vapor. Run hard. Stay the course. Well done. Rest on the backside of the pathway. But maybe there's others that are here. That maybe church and God was a part of your orientation when you were young. And you're back, you're exploring you're not connected with God. Maybe it was religion before, but 
you feel something different here. Or maybe this whole Christianity thing is new to you and you're kicking the tires, you're, you're checking for authenticity. If that's you, I just want to say on behalf of your pastors, we're so glad you're here. So glad you're tuning in. They wanted to create a place everybody belongs. But I submit to you that you stand at a crossroads and there's a path before you. And at the trailhead of that path stands a cross. And the one who hung on that cross for you and I did you come, invite you into relationship, and want to walk with you. So I invite you to him. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please no one looking around. If you would be so bold as to say, I would like you to pray for me. I don't know Jesus, but I want to become a follower. If you would be so bold, I want to pray for you. Please, will you raise your hand? No one looking around. Just lift it up. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Praise God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Raise that hand. I want to pray with you. I want to see who I'm praying for. Yes, ma'am. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else in the house? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Pray with me. Something like this from your heart before God. I acknowledge my need for you. I confess my sin before you. But I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the grave. I trust in you. My life is yours. I turn from my path and today I follow you. Hey, Faith Family, let's give a huge, passionate life round of applause. The Bible says that when one turns to Jesus, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. And I just want to say, those of you that gave your life to Christ, welcome to the family. You've just begun your journey. Press in. You have a faith family here that wants to walk with you. They want to help you. They want to help you on this journey. But I am so glad you came to Jesus today. Everyone else, I want to encourage you, if you want to stay connected with stories about the ministry, uh, positive encouragement and quotes, uh, follow us online. Look at the channels you see up there. we got Instagram accounts. Uh, I actually have a book coming out this year. It's going to drop about third quarter. would love to make sure you're aware of that, get you a copy of that. We also had a documentary released recently. I think it would really encourage some of your friends. So go to the bio link. It's a free documentary, and it's called Alive to Live. Thank you all so much for having us. Love your pastors. Glad to be here. Praise God. Man, what, what an honor it is for us to be able to partner with a ministry like that and, and just, man, take more ground for the kingdom of heaven. Amen.